This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Joe Biden has been stymied in his plans to cancel limited amounts of student debt. After making an August announcement for a cancellation of up to $20,000 in debt, depending on borrower circumstances, a lawsuit stopped the plan in its tracks. According to CNN, about 16 million people have already been approved for up to $20,000 in federal student loan forgiveness, but no debt is currently allowed to be cancelled as litigation plays out. Now, the president has turned to the Supreme Court for a decision, but there's little hope given the 6-3 conservative supermajority among justices. We turn now to Braxton Brewington, spokesperson for the Debt Collective. Welcome to the program, Braxton. Thanks so much for having me. So first, when the announcement was made um, it by the Biden administration, uh, I imagine that uh, folks like yourself might have been critical because it, it was a very narrow forgiveness plan, but still better than nothing. There had, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, been pauses in repayments of uh, student debt loans. But what was your overall impression of the original plan that Biden put forward, you know, had that plan been allowed to go forward, would you, you know, did you see that as a good first step? It was definitely bittersweet. We have been pushing for full student debt cancellation and creating a pathway towards tuition-free college so that we don't have to go into debt for education in the first place. Warren and other progressive members of Congress were pushing for $50,000 and you know Biden settled on 10 to $20,000 depending on your current situation and also means tested it, right? It, it capped it at $125,000 per year income. So um, not exactly everything that we wanted, but a great first step and very telling, you know, sort of giving us a proof of concept that we do have leverage in terms of our organizational power and pushing the president of the United States to take action that'll actually take meaningful lives, meaningful action in people's lives. And then a federal judge uh, put the brakes on calling it unconstitutional. Many are pointing out that this is yet another outcome of the right wing uh, tilt to the judiciary that the Republicans have been so good at doing that, you know, under the Trump administration um, and just with the Republican domination of the Senate at that time, you saw this um, push to fill uh, any uh, vacancies in the federal courts with conservative and right-wing judges. So is this one of the casualties of that trend and that push by the Republicans? Absolutely. I think it's just a continuation of this very rightward slant of the courts that we've seen from overturning settled precedent with Roe v. Wade to their recent decision with the Environmental Protection Agency. I mean, going back to, um, you know, Citizens United, really. And so what we're calling for is for the Biden administration to, uh, you know, not abide by and sort of throw their hands up in the air and say, if the court stops us, they stop us. Uh, that is, you know, four, we're talking about $400 billion worth of student debt relief. They need to find some other, uh, you know, legal creative ways to make sure that this relief gets into people's pockets. Young folks showed up in full force at the midterm elections to vote for Democrats over Republicans and really made a difference. Uh, some suggest that mm -hmm. in part they were 
um, inspired by the fact that there is a is a difference between Democrats and Republicans, and yet, of course, um, their uh, the the debt burden that they've been saddled with, and of course, it's not just young folks because many people in their forties and fifties are carrying college debt from twenty years past. Uh, but mm -hmm. a lot of folks who showed up to the midterm elections and handed Democrats a victory that they won, you know, victory in in quotes, so in the Senate at least, are now expecting the Democrats to deliver on promises. That's how politics works, right? You elect your uh, representatives and you expect something in return. I is there greater pressure now in the Biden administration after the midterms? I think so, and, and just the same amount of pressure that there was before, not to mention the Georgia runoff coming up, um, you know, the difference between a uh, 50, 51 Democrats and 50 Democrats is actually very important in terms of confirming judges and some other procedural stuff that needs to happen in the Senate. I think young people turning out was a really big indicator to the Democratic Party writ large that, wow, if we actually show young voters that the issues that they care about, that we'll take action on the issues that they care about, they'll come out. And I think that's going to be something that people are already thinking about for the 2024 presidential election um, and also, you know, every election down ballot to come. So what now? What are the ways in which um, those who are burdened with student debt can move forward? I mentioned that many have already something like 16 million received approval letters, and the Biden administration presumably has sent these letters pending uh, the legislation gridlock breaking. Um, so at this point, what people, are, are they supposed to continue paying those loans off? Do they pause in their payment? What other, and there are, you know, there've been various plans on pausing repayment, uh, depending upon whether you are a government worker or not, et cetera, right? So what, what advice do you give to those people who are trying to figure out where they stand? Well, just um, recently, hundreds of organizations put out a letter calling on the Biden administration to at the least extend the pause on federal student debt payments and interest until, you know, the court system has sort of worked out what's going to happen with student debt. And, and I think that's do really that important. just on his own, right, with, the, with just a stroke of a pen. Absolutely. He can extend the pause. I think this would be the eighth or the, or the ninth extension that he's done several times and the Trump administration extended a couple of times. So at the least, right, people shouldn't be having to be forced to make payments on a debt that they were promised would be eliminated, right? So we're saying the pause needs to be extended and the Biden administration should circumvent, right? So they should go around these courts and cancel debt with a different legal authority. So we've been pushing, you know, the Higher Education Act of 1965 is not the legal authority that the Biden administration leverage or reference when they cancel student debt, but but the hero's authority that they use has been caught up in court. Well, there's nothing preventing from the, the Biden administration from saying, well, we're going to take a similar action with a different legal authority. You know, there's there's also a bevy of uh, cancellation programs that are at the administration's uh, disposal that if they wanted to sort of broaden that definition of who meets those programs, they could cancel student debt through those programs. So this is not the, uh, you know, end all be all for student debt relief. We just need a Biden administration to, you know, spur some sense of legal creativity to make sure people get relief that, again, they've already proved people for. Is it a matter of prioritizing it? I mean, it sounds as though you're saying Biden has tools at his disposal that he is not quite 
enthusiastically using yet. Right. There are other tools at his disposal and he should use them. Uh, you know, I it's great that the Biden administration is appealing the suit and fighting this in court, but it's just not going to be enough should a right wing court come down with an unfavorable opinion for the Biden administration to sort of shrug or throw their hands up and say, we've done all that, you know, we've canned. There's, there's a plethora of other options available to, to them to make sure that, you know, people get this relief. So what uh, is the long-term plan for an organization like uh, Debt Collective? You know, assuming that the Supreme Court isn't going to do what Biden hopes it'll do. Uh, I don't even know if it's worth discussing, <laughs> given the super major- conservative supermajority. Um, but, uh, you know, is there a long-term plan? I know Debt Collective has for years been pushing on this issue. Yeah, well, the first most immediate thing that we're talking about is what a debt strike would look like come January, right? Should the courts come down with some unfavorable ruling or opinion? Should the Biden administration be as cowardice as to not extend the student debt payment um, and extend who qualifies for that payment? Million, tens of millions of people are going to be in financially uh, very terrible and precarious situations. And so part of what we're pushing right now is a debt strike where there's several ways we can sort of safely get to payments as low as $0 a month. And so we've been encouraging people to, you know, find these safe ways where they can go on debt strike and politicize their refusal to pay without putting their credit or their financial, um, you know, their finances in some sort of uh, bad position. And how do you respond to those uh, tired arguments that we've been hearing right from the start that it's not fair that some people have their debt forgiven when some others of us have you know, returned the money that we owed or that we that we borrowed? Yeah, it's it's not what's not fair is that generations of Americans have had to cough up tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars of money that they don't have to pay for education when generations before that have actually been able to have free college. And that's what the type of society we should be going back towards, one where everyone can benefit from education because it's a societal public good. And so I don't think think that we need to be in the business of, um, you know, making everyone else suffer, right? Punishing everyone else just because a group of people uh, before us did. And we saw this sort of movement play out actually with high school 100 years ago, which is, you know, a very long time ago, but 100 years ago, high school used to cost some money. It was not available and accessible to everyone. And then we expanded that and realized the you know, countless benefits that come with educating people for free in mass. And now we call it public school, right? We're fighting to make sure that we can do the same thing for higher education, where we can truly make it public. And of course, this is also coming at a time when higher education is in its own crisis. We know that there is a there are strikes that are taking place of academic mm-hmm. workers and graduate student workers and adjunct professors, you know, from the University of California to the new school in New York, um, it, because our universities appear to have been turned into, um, you know, sort of mimicking corporate models where they are underpaying the people who uh, create the product 
product, overcharging the customers, quote unquote, in this case, the students, um, and, uh, and, and having bloated salaries at the top. And you're seeing this crisis that involves workers and students, involves debt and uh, low wages. Uh, and in, in many ways, it is a crisis of capitalism to sort of simplify it a bit, mm. right? Oh, absolutely. We're looking at a university uh, or looking at a world where the university is functioning both as the place that can educate us, but also our boss and also our landlord. Uh, right. And and that is not what the university needs to be. Uh, this, you know, we don't need a university that mimics these uh, harsh, punitive, for-profit business models that exist elsewhere. We need something that is actually public and free and reparative and beneficial towards society. And so that looks like making sure people are actually paid a living wage, people can take the classes that um, are going to benefit them and not are just designed for whatever, whoever decided will, you know, a degree will make the most amount of money. We really actually need to go back to this uh, education um, and this higher ed model that we had um, actually, you know, close to the in the 60s, right before women and black folks and brown folks were able to come onto campus when tuition was free, or there was a very, very low fee. And right now, I think what we're seeing in the UC system is people demanding sort of a return to that era. Right. I mean, when we've seen this, seen this over and over again in so many other places where social welfare, government-backed social welfare, suddenly becomes mm -hmm. inaccessible when women and in particular people of color try to access it. Exactly. And so I think that's why we use the term racial capitalism mm. at the Debt Collective, right? There is uh, this aspect of gender and race and age and immigrant status and all of these uh, nationality, disability, all of these uh, identity markers that have that are playing a role in determining who gets what and also determining who owes what to whom. And so that's what the sort of questions that we're trying to ask at the Debt Collective and thinking, you know, what does it look like for a union of debtors to organize alongside a union of uh, workers, right? Because in this age of finance capitalism, where, for example, universities and other business can make their money not just from um, people working for them, but from fees and fines and extracting all types of uh, points where they can, um, you know, collect money from people out of thin air, these sort of finance uh, capitalism. We're trying to really uh, provocate what it would look like for a group of people who are indebted to look at those debts and say, are these debts holding us back? And also, are they a form of asset, right? Is our debt someone else's paycheck? And what would it look like to organize around that reality? Uh, where can people find out more, Braxton, about Debt Collective if they are saddled with student debt and they want to join in the, the movement and, and really politicize, as you were saying, this repayment of uh, debt that they should have stopped paying a long time ago? You can go to debtcollective.org and there you can join the union for um, free or for whatever you can pay per month. You can also be in touch with a group of debtors in your area and sort of join the sort of virtual floor where you can meet other people who are often battling the same situations you are. And as long as Twitter is around, we are on at strike debt on Twitter. <laughs> 
at Strike Debt. Thank you so much, Braxton, for joining us. Um, and um, good luck to you. Thanks so much for having me. My guest has been Braxton Brewington, a spokesperson for the Debt Collective. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.